First Palm Media. You are listening to Mushing on First Palm Media. Visit our website at mushing.com. Hello and welcome, everybody. This is Robert from Mushing, and today I am joined by a guest calling in from Minnesota. Her name is Linda Newman. Linda, how's it going today? Oh, it's going pretty well. 34 degrees here in Minnesota and and uh, just enough snow to make the ground look like it's winter. <laughs> yes, and we have about eight feet of gr- on the ground here in Willow. It's been one heck of a winter up here in south central Alaska. A little bit different than the upper Midwest for sure. So, Linda, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're all about, please? Sure, sure. So I um, own Points Unknown, which is a uh, dog sledding adventure business, among other things. We do um, uh, mindful paddling into the boundary waters uh, for day trips, but the main focus is the dogs, and it's all about the dogs year-round. Um, anybody who has sled dogs knows that. It's not It's not just, um, just a hobby. It is definitely a lifestyle. So, um, and I've been doing dog sledding adventures since 2007, and have had the dog since 2000. So let's jump right into that. You had mentioned that uh, getting your first set of dogs about 24 years ago-ish. How did you get involved with the sport? Was it sort of like a lot of us? We got one or two dogs, and the next thing you know, we had a team? That was that was pretty much it. Um, I did. I was a dog lover before that, uh, of course, and had um, Australian Shepherds, and we would do every obedience class under the sun, every every type of fun thing that you can do with with Australian Shepherds, including sheep herding. And I really loved the um, the herding dog and the working dog. So it kind of translated pretty well into dog sledding with that working dog mentality. Uh, but I do have to say sled dogs were very different. They weren't quite as eager to please at first. It was more about gaining their respect and, and uh, to really get them to, to do what you'd like them to do. So tell us a little bit about your dogs. Where, where do they come from? What are their lines? Uh, how many do you have? That sort of thing. Sure. Well, right now I've got 23 and that includes one Australian shepherd. But when I first got into dog sledding um, in uh, in 2000, I started with Canadian Inuit dogs. And um, boy, what a way to just dive right into dog sledding with with the uh, you know, the tanks of the sled dog world. And um, I was part of a preservation project for those guys, sending a couple dogs up to uh, actually three up to uh, King Iqswala Jog Nunavik uh, for their preservation project. And then I just realized that as they were they were getting a little older and I was getting a little older that the Inuit dog was not not for me, not the direction I wanted to go. So I didn't replace them as I as I uh, moved on. But I did come across a, um, a traditional dog that I acquired in 2002, which made me want to search for more traditional lines. And that's what made got me into the Headland Huskies that I've got today. I was reading um, an article in the Anchorage Daily News that talked about the Headlands on the Comeback Trail, and they had interviewed Kim Fitzgerald and Rose Headland about these dogs, and I was just fascinated and fell in love and called Kim right away and said, hey, I'm really interested, and it turns out she uh, had a litter, and I flew to Alaska the year after that to get my first Headland Husky. So I would have, I would bet, Linda, that a lot of people that are listening to the show have never heard of the Headland Husky. You know, in the mushing world, we typically have Siberians and Alaskan Huskies. Maybe 
a Malamute here and there, but uh, the Headland Husky is a little bit different breed. Can you tell us a little bit about them and how they compare and contrast to the Siberian or the typical Alaskan Husky? Sure, sure. I can tell you what I know, not having had Siberians um, or typical Alaskan Huskies. I, you know, I can, I can share what I've seen, uh, but not what I've personally experienced um, here in my kennel. Uh, the Headland Huskies, um, they're a rare line of traditional Alaskan Husky that was developed in the 30s in the Iliamna region of Alaska for trap line teams and subsistence living by the Headland family. So Rose and Nels Headland. Um, Rose actually had um, registered Siberians and Nels had uh, rangy gray dogs, he called them. They're actually featured in the, uh, I think, a 1970s book called um, Bill Vaudrin book called Racing Alaskan Sled Dogs. The Headlands are are featured in that book. And um, so he did he did all kinds of uh, uh, subsistence living things with his dogs, um, you know, using them for transportation, their trap lines, mail run, that sort of thing. Um, so bringing us to today, so if you think about uh, the Headland Huskies uh, being a purpose-bred dog, you know, you think about racing dogs and how they're purpose-bred to go, go, go. Uh, these dogs were purpose-bred initially um, for uh, – Again, trapline teams stopping and going, stopping and going. And in order to do that, they've got to be calm and quiet dogs and really versatile. And that's what I love about them is um, that versatility. And um, in in my poor business, that translates really well because you know although we're not trapping, we are stopping and going quite a lot. And uh, they're you know meeting a lot of a lot of guests and and um, you know stop on the trail to take pictures. And so they're their calm demeanor is something that really, really drew me. Uh, they're very intuitive and, um, I call them soulful. Um, they, uh, when they look at you, they kind of stare right, right through your, your soul is what I always say. So I've got a special passion for them. Um, so I would say compared to the other purpose bred dogs, they're, they're just, just, uh, maybe more laid back than, you know, perhaps a, a Siberian might be and definitely, a, a Alaskan Husky bred for racing would be so you talked about the Inuit dog and them being the tanks of the of the sled dog world. What uh, what is the typical size of these headlands? Are they uh, your typical uh, large Siberian husky sled dog, or are they bigger or smaller? Uh, they're quite a bit bigger. Um, we do have a, a pretty significant difference between the males and females. Um, and and also keep in mind there are fewer fewer than a hundred of these left, so they're they're a line and not a breed. So keep that in mind as we as we continue to talk. So they've got really long legs for for um, breaking trail, big feet for staying on top of the snow. And I've got I've my largest dogs are 31 inches at the shoulder, which is pretty tall um, and 85 pounds. And that's lean. And those are typically males. And the females, you know, run eh, between 50 and 65 pounds, males are 65 to 85 pounds. So there is a, there is a range, you know, they are, again, they're a line and not a breed. So significantly larger than, than your typical racing dog or typical Siberian. For sure. And I see a lot of racing, uh, Alaskan Huskies in particular. I mean, they, they can be quite small. I, I know teams that have females that are 35 pounds and, you know, 22 inches tall or whatever, very small dogs. And just a comparison for people that are listening, I think the AKC standard for a Siberian Husky is about 
26 inches, and that's always measured at the withers, so which is a sort of the top of the shoulders, if you will. So these guys are about five inches taller than your typical Siberian. So that is a great breakdown of your dogs, and I'm definitely interested in talking about your dog sled tours as part of your business, which is called Points Unknown. How did you go that route? Obviously, you had sled dogs. You were, you know, doing your thing with them. What made you start the business? Well, um, I wanted to. St- I was a, a real estate appraiser for 23 years uh, west of the the Twin Cities, and so I was doing that in conjunction with, you know, when I with my dogs, and then when I started my my business. And I at that point, I really wanted to do more of what what I wanted to do, what my uh, passion was versus what I thought I should do. Um, so I gave up my, um, my real estate appraisal business for winters and went to work for someone else so that I could take the winters off to run my business, which was really doing my passion. Um, and I'm really passionate about um, sharing that knowledge with other people, especially women. We've got, um, um, we specialize in women's adventures, women's empowerment. So introducing women to something that maybe they, they haven't been introduced to, um, you know, growing up. And, um, you know, at one point it was very much a male dominated lifestyle, but that's, that's really not the case anymore. So, um, I just really love sharing, uh, about the training of the dogs, the, the running of the dogs and, and just the lifestyle with them. Yeah, I, I really, I really like that. And that was one of the main reasons why I wanted to reach out to you to have you on the podcast, because you truly are sharing that lifestyle, that passion that, that you hold, that you thought was so important uh, in, in the beginning of your business to be able to share that with other people. And that's, that's what you do there at Points Unknown. And according to your Facebook page, you do a bunch of stuff, not just dog mushing. You do these women uh, empowerment expeditions, if you will. You do some canicross. You do some paddling. You do a lot of different stuff. How do you juggle all those things? How do you wear all those hats? Because I know it can be quite difficult to sort of uh, tame the herd, if you will, you know, when you're out on these trips and you have all these people trying to learn new things. And you've got a lot of go- a lot going on with a lot of different activities. Sure, sure. Well, you know, what I had to do is um, when I basically in 2000, uh, in 2012, I cashed in everything, everything from my house to my 401k so that I could move up here off grid to live this passion, live this, make this dream a reality so that I can share it with with everyone. And in order to do that, you know, I needed to come up with, um, okay, well, I'm doing the dog sledding. And what else can I do? What else might people be interested in learning? And what else is going to gonna make me a little money? Because, you know, I got to feed these dogs, <laughs> not to mention myself. So I just started throwing adventures out there. You know, what can I do up here? I live in one of the most beautiful places in the country, in my uh, opinion. Of course, Alaska is quite beautiful. Um, but we're very similar to the Fairbanks area without um, mountains. But we do have the big lake, Lake Superior. Um, so a lot of people come up here for the beauty. I wanted to bring them up here for dog sledding and bring them more, um, more deeply into the woods, more silently with the sled dogs. And so I thought, okay, we can do some cane across. Um, I had people reach out to me about that. What else? The, you know, the mindful paddles into the boundary waters, which is uh, 12 miles up the road from me. Uh, 
So I'll take people on day trips into the Boundary Waters and may bring a dog, may not. But everything that we do, I always say sled dog cuddles included because folks have to come to my off-grid homestead here to take care of the business, you know, the paperwork and the payment. And the dogs are here. They're just, as I speak, there's one laying 10 feet from my window. So we've got the fenced-in dog play areas just right right uh, in the front yard, uh, if you will. And uh, so folks come here and, and visit with the dogs and, and then we go off and do whatever else that, that we're going to do. Yeah, I, I really like that that business model for sure. And the off-grid part is a huge part of this business. As you mentioned, uh, it, it, it takes a special kind of person to be able to live off-grid with solar or, or, or whatever you have. What do people think about that when they come up to stay with you for, for their trip, whether it be a, a couple of nights, like your women adventure trip or whatever? Because a lot of people don't live that way, but they sort of have that romanticized view of what that's like. How is it when they're sort of put their feet to the fire, if you will? Well, um, I always give everyone my off off grid spiel when they when they arrive. You know, welcome to Points Unknown, and I let them know that uh, they've left left grid five miles ago. Um, so we've got sixteen solar panels on the roof, twenty four deep cycle batteries to store the energy, two propane generators. One is a backup for the other one, and you definitely need a backup when you're on off grid. And um, um, then I talk about the fact that when I first moved here. Uh, I had to have a 40-foot post with a Yagi antenna on the end and two smooth talker booster systems. And in that event, we could only boost an intermittent Canadian signal. We're uh, maybe eight miles as the crow flies from Canada. Um, but a few years ago, um, they turned on a tower, an AT&T tower on the U.S. side. And so all of a sudden, we've got AT&T coverage, which is um, I always tell folks, you know, it's kind of bittersweet because it's great to have that cell coverage for emergencies, but I don't want to have five bars, you know, when I'm six miles into the wilderness and and hear a notification because what it does is highlights the addiction that we all have. You know, you hear the ding and it's like, oh, I got to check that. Well, no, you don't. <laughs> so um, I share that and uh, I have a lot of people that come in and you know, I also make beeswax candles, so I've got a beeswax candle workshop um, in my office here. And people walk in and look around, and they look outside at the dogs. And every once in a while, somebody will say, "So, you live here?" <laughs> but I just chuckle. Um, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, I I live here year round. Um, you know, I set up the part of my house is unfinished because I spent so much money setting up the dogs outside and. I thought, well, one of these days I'll get around to finishing these parts of the house. But you know what? It doesn't even matter um, because I find myself, um, you know, what are your priorities? What are the priorities? I'm outside most of the time, um, so it it doesn't matter. But, um, yeah, so that's that's typically the off-grid. What an experience for sure. Who is your typical client? Are they folks from the Twin Cities, uh, Duluth area, Wisconsin? Where are people finding you and coming up to spend a day or, or weekend or whatever with you? Sure. You know, we get people from all over the world. Um, the county that I live in is called Cook County. We've got a great organization called Visit Cook County, and they they do an awful lot of really good um, um, advertising to bring folks to this area. And it's it's not really a hard sell because it's such a beautiful area with Lake Superior just seven miles down the road from me. So uh, people from all over the world, and but I do have to say, the um, the thing that 
tends to ring true for just about everyone is that they're dog lovers. They absolutely love dogs and they, and they uh, are fascinated by this, uh, uh, the experience they can have here with uh, the working dogs just right outside my back door. So tell us a little bit about one of the trips, maybe a day in the life of a winter trip and the day in the life of a summer trip. What uh, can a person expect when they come up to visit? Well, and yeah, it, it really depends on the conditions. So right now, since we don't have enough snow for sleds, um, you know, it's going to look look different than on a, on a day when we do have enough. And let me just say, this is the first winter that I can recall where we have, have not been able to be on sleds. Last winter, we had over 200 inches of snow. The winter before, 227 inches. So this is just just crazy, just unreal. Um, but we're chopping and changing and, and doing what we have to do to get the dogs out there and, and uh, give the guests still a unique and unforgettable experience. So the day in the life, um, people arrive. And, and, you know, for me, the most important thing for people to do is to develop that relationship with the dogs because once the dogs get to know you then they're going to be more likely to to uh trust you and respect you and and want to listen to you not to say that they will because i'm their human <laughs> but they can at least give it a try um but everybody likes to you know cuddle with the puppies cuddle with the adults and and just build that relationship a little bit and then we teach people um just step by step you know when we're working with the sled dogs they live in huge kennels where they play together and because they play so often uh, they don't wear collars because i've had to cut a collar off before because they've somebody's gotten a, a jaw caught so safety is so important so no collar so we show them how to uh to um use the sled dog collar, which is very different than a typical pet collar, um, how to use the special leashes, three points of contact. Um, you know, the, the, the rule that we tell them is never lose your team, never lose a sled dog. So if you happen to, if they happen to pull you over, which they typically don't because they all, these, these guys are pretty good. We take them to obedience classes and, and, uh, um, you know, just, just for individual bonding, but also so that our guests can work with them better and bring them to the ready line. They learn how to hook, um, harness them, hook them up to the sled. And uh, depending on the conditions and the situation and what the people would like to experience for the day in the life, they can learn how to to uh, safely run a, a dog, um, a small team of dogs assisted. So I'm never gonna gonna be one to to say, well, here you go. This is the break. We'll see you later. <laughs> it's going to be, we're there every step of the way because we're talking about the safety of the dogs and the people and, and that, that translates to fun too. And how is that different than a summer trip? If you're doing canoeing or hiking or whatever, is it uh, is similar with, without all of the sled stuff? Well, you know, the day in the life, I don't, I don't really have a, I customize everything. If somebody comes to me and says they'd like to to do a, a paddle, a mindful paddle and, and some dog sledding. We also do River Canyon, wild wanders in the summer, take people, uh, you know, down the River Canyons to see hidden waterfalls and things like that. I'll customize something. So, um, but all of it includes some sled dog aspect. Again, because it's not it's not just a hobby. It's not an aside, you know, just an aside. They're, they're the main focus here. So, um, yeah, so I'll, I'll customize. I like that. Then it's not cookie cutter. So many of these types of trips are just cookie cutter trips. And you're thinking about 
trips uh, up here in Alaska with the cruise ships. They get off the cruise ships, they run a you know a mile course, and you know it's just sort of bam, 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 over and over and over again. And and I really think it's a good opportunity for people to get introduced to sled dogs, but I don't think it's the best. Uh, way of life, if you will, for sled dogs, because it's just so much monotony. And I'm sure you would agree with that. Oh, as far as, um, just, as far as glacier tours and yeah, just, just the amount of, uh, you know, in and out type work with those sled dogs, just constantly, uh, shifting in and in and out, it, it, I would imagine would be, would be a tough business it, more than, more than anything it would be a really tough business compared to something like yours. Yeah, it would be different. It would be different for sure. One of the things that I find with my dogs is that for our one and a half hour tour, we do a three mile loop and um, the dogs, they get so sick of the three mile loop that that they start um, making up different routes and they start, you know, their their minds get moving. You can tell when, uh oh, Castle's going to do this because he's getting bored with this. So what, what we have to do is we really mix it up. Um, we'll chop and change, you know, we'll put new leaders up in, in front. Um, we'll even train some leaders on tours if, 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 um, it seems safe to do so. Um, and all along we're talking to the guests about, Hey, so they're getting a backstage pass. Basically we're letting them know that, um, so-and-so does this. So now, you know, we're going to have to move this leader and this is why. And, um, people tend to really enjoy the whys. I always say, you know, this is more than just a ride. It's, um, um, yeah, you might sit in the sled and ride in the sled, but, but, uh, if you know, you're going to be hearing all about what's going on and why and, and, um, uh, how we train the dogs and, and, and of course, on the other hand, if somebody would just like to sit quietly and ride in the, um, in the sled, as we go through our, these beautiful trails, then, then that's just fine too. But I, I rarely come across somebody who does that. <laughs> they just, they have all kinds of questions. And that leads into to my next section here. With all of these different visitors, I'm sure you've been asked many, many questions over the years, but there has to be one very prevalent one that everybody asks. Do you have one of those? Oh, boy. Um, I can't think of one. Usually something would come to mind, but I can't think of a cookie-cutter question. You know, people ask the typical, well, you know, what do they eat or, you know, how old are they or yeah. No, I don't get an awful lot of those. Typically, they ask us. We teach at the at the university uh, college courses for for dog mushing, and typically, one of the first questions they ask us is, "Do they all have names, or how did oh. you, how did you, how did they come up with their names?" And they really get a kick out of. We always name our dogs with themes. Whether we have a we have a rock and roller theme, we have a a reggae oh, theme, sure. that sort of thing. Do do they ask those questions oh, yeah. as well? Yes, I, I get those questions too. Um, it, I, I, I maybe have only had the question, do they all have names three times or so? Um, but uh, yeah, the question about how do you come up with the names? And my answer is always, you know, it just depends on what's going on in my life at the time. Um, we'll have themes and maybe those puppies will keep that theme name. Maybe they won't. Just depends on if it fits them. Uh, the most interesting theme was, uh, um, and I had not planned this and I would never think to name uh, a litter after after a casino but we ended up having to to head to the uh, um, emergency vet which was an hour and a half away in Thunder Bay I had to cross the Canadian border to get there and uh, I had to stop to call the vet and right as and I had to stop right in the casino parking lot 
she had a puppy. So I thought, hey, there you go. There's the new, there's a new theme. It's going to be the casino litter. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like that. So what, what would their names end up being? Well, it, it, the puppy names were Ace and Deuce, uh, Queen of Hearts, uh, Jackpot, because we didn't, uh, and then Wildcard. And I think Wildcard was because, no, Jackpot was because we didn't expect that one. We had the x-ray done. It was it was a surprise. So, And none of them kept those names, but it's always fun to, to think about. Of course, <laughs> of course. So, Linda, before we go, I always like to showcase or highlight one of your dogs and, and tell a story maybe about one of the dogs that you have. Of course, they're all special to you. Uh, all 25 of them, I believe, is what you said you had. Do you have one special dog or possibly one special story? Oh boy, um, that's really hard because uh, I always say it's it's really hard to choose a, a special dog because they're all special in different ways. Uh, but I, I will turn it around and say that, um, you know, Agate, I, I'm Agate's favorite. So that's how I answer that. Uh, she chose me when she was, she was big enough to fit in my hands and I can't tell you how she just did. And uh, she's, she's been in ever since. And is she a great sled dog? Yeah, she's a sled dog, but she's she loves me more than that. <laughs> so, so that that's agate. I, I love that, and they do. Uh, for folks that are listening, every one of them has that special way of attaching themselves to us. Uh, whether they, you know, uh, gravitate toward us when we go into the yard, or they're that constant companion at camp, or whatever. Every one of them is definitely special as well. So, Linda, before we go, do you have anything else you would like to tell our listeners? Any special events coming up? That sort of thing? Uh, as far as special special events, you know, we're just um, we're just plugging away this winter, hoping for snow. And and if you'd like to support a small business, um, you know, come on out and and take our take our wheeled tour. Uh, even though we're not we're not on sleds, it's it's unique and and exhilarating in a different way. Um, and we just, we would just love to, to host you. And we, we'd like to, to share the dogs with you. And where are you most active on social media? Is it Facebook, Instagram, where? Well, Facebook. Uh, so I would go to Facebook. I'm, I'm starting to do more Instagram, but you know, I just, social media is, um, is a tough one because I'd rather be, um, out with the dogs. So I try to occasionally post on Instagram, but mostly it's going to be Facebook. And we'll definitely put links in the show notes page for folks that can reach out. And as Linda mentioned, they have a very robust uh, tourism organization up in her neck of the woods. And I'm sure you could find out much more there as well. Linda, it is a pleasure to talk to you. I know we have spoken uh, for a couple of weeks now to make sure that this fits into everybody's schedule. Thank you very much for joining us and good luck with uh, this this coming winter, the what it is left of it, and whatever is to come in your business. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Linda Newman is our guest today, and we will see you guys next time. Goodbye. Nobody covers dog sledding like mushing from First Paw Media. Our team of athletes, volunteers, race organizers, and mushers like Robert and Michelle Forto brings you closer to the sport. 
If it's happening, we are there. Live from the qualifying races in January and February, the Iditarod in March, and in the summer, Mushing takes you on the road with our team and trail tour. We connect you with a history of the sport, in-depth interviews with the top mushers, and great storytelling and breaking news all year long. Follow on mushing.com. 